founders in the north of England are twice as likely to say that we lack startup funding when compared with kind of London. A good business looks like a good business at the end of the day, and, and I don't think it, it should matter where they are. Venture capital as a, an industry uh, is incredibly undiverse in and of itself. From the first-time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com en-gb. Hello and welcome to the UKTM podcast, a weekly chat with the movers and shakers of the UK tech industry and the destination for all things UK tech related. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and this week I am joined by Jess Jackson from Pretoria Ventures, a venture capital investor based in Manchester. Welcome, Jess. Thanks so much for having me, Jane. It's great to be here. Now, first up, can you just give me a bit of a sense of what's going on in your region tech-wise, startup-wise, what's the scene like? Yeah, no problem. The northern scene has been absolutely all over kind of the tech news recently. There's more and more kind of funders coming here. It certainly seems that way to me anyway. It's, it's only ever worked in the north of funding scene. We've got more and more funders coming here, more and more startups founding here because of a number of reasons, which I'm obviously really happy to dive into. And that's really feeding, really feeding off each other. But even amidst all of that kind of buzz, there's a lot of things going on that we need to overcome. So we we did some research called uh, What's Power in the Powerhouse? The story of kind of the northern landscape by the people who built it. And we found, for example, that founders in the north of England are twice as likely to say that we lack startup funding when compared with kind of London and, and the southeast of the Golden Triangle. And we're more concerned about that lack of funding than practically anywhere else. And what do you think that lack of funding is down to, essentially? Is it just because VCs are often based in London, they get to see Southeast firms because they're closer to hand and, or more likely to sort of hear about them on the grapevine? What, what, what's that disparity about when you break it down? There's a lot of reasons for it that all then go on to feed into each other. But the fact of the matter is there's just way more wealth down there and there always has been establishing wealth firms and, and you look at the concentration of angel investors, for example, which are obviously really important for early stage businesses. We just, it's a drop in the ocean, what we have here in the North compared to what, what is down there. So naturally there are more businesses there, there's more money there and it's a quite a simple equation. And, and also there's, but there has been a lot of public investment here, funds like the GMCA have had a fund. So our combined authority up here have got an investment fund and GC Angels was founded, which I went to, which I uh, ran for three and a half years. That was backing pre-seed and seed stage businesses in Manchester specifically. We've had the, the GM Life Sciences Fund, which we manage. That's an, um, a mandate we manage. But at the same time, the, the funders historically just weren't, they just weren't coming here. They didn't have a footprint here. Now, that's the thing that has been changing gradually. But we just don't have the density, that deal density, 
just doesn't happen to the same level. So we we find, unfortunately, that some businesses move there just because for that ease of access to capital. And are there other reasons other than geography? And um, just as you pointed out, this historic lack of funding in the north and money compared to the south. Is there anything else that kind of an investor, do they need to think differently when they're looking at businesses that are up north compared to south? Fundamentally, I I don't think they need to look differently. You know, a good business looks like a good business at the end of the day. And and I don't think it, it should matter where they are. But I mean, one thing I would say is that when we surveyed founders as part of our research, that they're, they're twice as likely to suggest, Northern founders are twice as likely to suggest that they want mentorship and, and support. They want to see those other success stories as well, and they want to learn from them. That is why more than money is a big ethos for us, why it's written on the wall literally behind me, is we recognise that and we, we build that into our offer. But I think all of the other things that makes us different are actually our strengths. The fact that It's just so much easier to get from city to city just because of how close we are. Obviously, cities are smaller. Transport is being invested in. The rail is the rail. But in Manchester, we've got the Metrolink, which I'm a huge fan of. (laughs) But we've got like this incredible talent bed as well. And with everyone kind of being so close together, you could get a job in Leeds just as easily as you could get a job in Manchester. And if you're in Liverpool, you can get a job in Manchester and vice versa. Cost of living is is a lot cheaper. You get a lot more for money property-wise. People are returning to the North from having worked in London and they're, oh my God, like, look, my quality of life's so much better. We can access the countryside. We can get a bigger house. And also, if I run a business, I'm not necessarily disadvantaged by by anything because their access to talent is better and they're not as expensive as hiring in London, for example, particularly the obviously tech roles. And that's important, isn't it? That kind of wider work-life balance and thinking about things in the round. You mentioned transport there and it, it brought to mind the sort of recent fiasco over HS2 and people didn't think kind of reflected particularly well on the government's levelling up agenda. I just wanted to get your sort of general thoughts on how well you think the government is doing in terms of bringing equity across the regions of the UK. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> going to be very careful what I say here, like political affiliations aside, but I don't think they have been committed in any way to levelling up. I think in every aspect of it, and Andy Burnham will have said all of this a lot better than I will, and as well as the other kind of metro mayors, we just don't feel prioritised, but we've never felt that way. And I think we've been, we've now become very scrappy as a result of that. And going out and getting what we need ourselves and building it ourselves as much as we're able to. That said, there are arms of the government that have been focusing on economic development, such as the British Business Bank, for example, that have got pots of money that they then disseminate out to fund managers with a specific focus on the regions. Five years ago, MPIF1 launched, which was focusing on early stage businesses in and around regions in the north. So at that point, it was the northeast, which was included Yorkshire and the Humber, the northwest, and then obviously there's like the Midlands engine and so on. This time around with MPIF2, there's other regions been included. The northeast has actually been split out from Yorkshire and the Humber, probably recognising all of the work that's gone into developing the ecosystems in, in, in those regions too, and how far they've come and how much more vibrant their respective kind of business and funding ecosystems are, but also recognising their unique challenges and that they need to have specific focus on it. Those kinds of products are just absolutely vital. And as I've already mentioned, 
some of the other funds in our earlier kind of conversation, but we just need way more things like that in in and around the ecosystem. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be huge, like multi-billion projects. It could be things like Baltic Ventures over in Liverpool, their accelerator launched last year, giving early stage businesses 50k tickets through and then like a big program of support. So the emphasis being more on the support necessarily than the cash. That they've been fantastic. All the founders I speak to have been hugely complimentary of it, how valuable it's been. And they have a really important function in the ecosystem. In in relative terms, they don't cost half as much as some of those other big infrastructure initiatives or big economic development initiatives, but they are really important in their own right. So it's about thinking smart rather than necessarily throwing money at the problem. Obviously, we're in a year where the government could change. What are your thoughts on what Labour's saying currently in terms of tech and VC funding? I think Labour have got a real challenge on their hands. I think that just really goes without saying. Obviously, what I would love to, to hear them do is sort of respond to local leaders in the region and ecosystem leaders in the region and provide them with the kind of support and the kind of investment that they're asking for because we know our ecosystems way better than Westminster do. We're best placed to say what it is that is needed and regularly as I'm sure like a lot of other kind of players in the ecosystem are being asked. We're often asked to give our views and that's why we funded our own research because we know all of the businesses here and not necessarily just your northern unicorns, the businesses that are still doing incredibly well and may well go on to be unicorns, but that isn't necessarily the be all and end all. And I think we know that better than anyone, I think. We were able to ask those questions. What does the ecosystem need? And that research is there. Happy to send a coffee to Kia. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. You know, I mean, I think the more that this stuff is discussed, I know that Michelle Donnellan has said that she's, you know, looking at kind of lots of research areas. But then she also said that she had her sights on creating unicorns. The government can't help itself, but think in these big kind of ways. And often, as you've pointed out, then it's not about the big ideas. It's about understanding the ecosystem and perhaps the little things that that companies need. Yeah. And, you know, SMEs are the biggest chunk of the largest kind of pool of, of businesses and they employ by definition, therefore, they employ the most people than just some of the top companies added together. So listening to what they need and helping them to thrive is way more important to the economy as a whole than, than just listening to focusing in on a unicorn. But it is also useful to understand what are the challenges that those businesses face in scaling and, and how could they potentially go on to become that or just just there's nothing wrong with multi-billion pound exits at all. So how, how do we enable that to happen and how do we do that? And I think a, a big piece of that is hopefully certainty. Uh, which I think a lot of investors are uh, investors sort of like with a, a capital I, if you will, are, are looking for. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll start to see that um, and, and stabilise the economy a little bit. HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise and insights to the technology, life science and healthcare, private equity and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en-gb. 
Now, one of the other issues that uh, we're seeing in startups is just the number of women. Uh, there was a recent report that found that only 16% of VC investment in the UK went to startups with at least one female founder. What do we do about that problem? Why have we got the problem, first of all? And, and what do we do to attempt to get those figures a bit more healthy looking? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a big issue. And I think a lot of the data hasn't really been shifting since I, it first came to my notice when the BBB published some research in 2019. I think at that point it was one pence in every pound went to businesses with solo female founders. And I think that's obviously looking just outside of, of startups, probably three to series A. So you can cut and slice the data, but ultimately it's bad. It's always the worst segment. And then when you introduce intersectionality into that, black women get the least amount of money out of anyone. Why? Venture capital as a an industry is incredibly undiverse in and of itself. The majority of roles are occupied by men. And while we are seeing positive movements with more women entering kind of venture capital, even in debt as well, the, the more senior you go, the worse those kind of diversity stats become. And that has a really big impact because when you're making decisions about what businesses you want to back, I always like to use this example because it's an obvious one, but of course it applies to all sectors. But let's just say, for example, you've got a life sciences business that is a femtech. So by that, it's got a technology or, or product which is aimed at addressing a, a women's health issue. Uh, so we, we in our life sciences fund, we get a lot of things around menopause or fertility, for example. I think if you're a founder and you've got a product in, in that space and you're approaching investors, statistically, you're more likely to be pitching to men. So fundamentally, do they actually understand the problem that is being described to them? No, they don't. And, and, and that, that even happens across businesses that are like looking at circular economy. We've had looked at circular economy businesses and I wouldn't use this for my children. And it's like, well, no, because you're in a very different income bracket than the target market that this business is trying to address. So I guess what I'm saying is when we assess businesses as a fund, we need to make sure we're not missing out on good opportunities and we need to broaden the pool of like people and their backgrounds that they're coming from, not just in terms of gender and, and ethnicity, but also like economic and different education backgrounds to mean that we can actually assess opportunities properly. And that will hopefully lead to higher rates of businesses getting that backing. But the data shows that more diverse businesses, you know, at the FTSE level outperform those that are not. All of the economic data, year on year, every report I've ever seen points to the fact that it's just more financially responsible and, and, and you get more returns if you back them. It really is a no-brainer. It's just not happening at the rate that we would like to. The, the other side of that is, I think, when money becomes more scarce, unfortunately, investment into women and, and by proxy, those other groups uh, are seen as, as riskier as well. And because they struggle to access the money that they need, the tension on the money that they are raising is exacerbated. So it, it, it all just starts to compound and, and snowball, really. So when we're in poor economic times, yeah, businesses that are basically non-white male will struggle to raise even more so than their male counterparts. It's a really great point you make about kind of female businesses that are aimed at females, femtech, and men not getting it. Do you find when you are hearing pitches that you are more drawn to, to if it's a, a female founder that's giving the pitch? Yeah, I think... I think 
what the way I would approach it, particularly if it's in like an open forum, like a pitching event or like some kind of innovation competition, I feel it's incumbent upon me as a woman in that space. And I might be the only female VC there to highlight why I think this is a good business idea. Or of course, this makes sense because it's a huge market. We've seen these trends in those kind of forums. I feel I do owe my like kind of sisters on the uh, business side of the table to recognize what they're doing and what they're building. And that's a really important kind of piece of advocacy that everyone can do, even if you're not a woman. And it's like, I understand this because it's a health issue that my wife has experienced or my sister or my mother. So I understand that this is a problem. And that is a male allies piece that is really great to, to see things like that. But I also, you can adopt your practices to sort of, I don't want to use the word overcorrect, but almost give like a fair hearing. Myself and my colleague, my colleague in particular who has experience working in women's health, will look at, especially look at any businesses that are targeting that space and give it a fair hearing and make sure just, or we'll just have a meeting, even if it's not one for us. Then there's a multitude of reasons that sometimes, even if they've got a cracking idea, the foundational research, for example, just isn't there. And that's a problem that we're not here to solve, even if we recognise it's there. So that's why we will always advocate for kind of more more public funding and more innovation funding and grants and, and work that universities and tech transfer offices do and so on and so forth. Now, far bit for me to suggest that perhaps we need more stats on this, because sometimes it feels like all we have is stats. But California requires venture capitalist firms to publish diversity stats in fund allocation. Is that something you think we should do in the UK? Yeah, so we're starting to see this kind of creep in from like the top level. So I know big funds like listed vehicles and so on will are being required to report on things around ESG, which obviously includes diversity and inclusion, DNI. There isn't any kind of things that are mandated to more private vehicles, EIS funds, for example, but there are initiatives that are being pushed. So the, the British Business Bank's got the Invest in Women code, uh, which is something that funds can opt into and opt into to re- report their data on an annual basis. So that we are signatories to that. There are also like a number of things that you can work towards in terms of like accreditation. So, for example, the UNPRI, there's lots of other things around kind of carbon that you can go for. I know we're talking about DNI, but just highlight there are other things out there. Again, they are things that you opt into, but I I think we will start to see a creep. I do think it's a good idea for what happens then and how do we use that info to say you said no to like X number of businesses and ultimately like the firms have to be willing to do that soul searching to say, is there anything that we could have done differently in our processes or things we can do differently in our team aside from just And no one would ever suggest it's just let's just go throw money after bad ideas because we need to change those stats. It has to be, they have to be the right businesses, but they have to be honest with themselves and say, we're getting enough applications from women. If we're not, why? Yeah, it's a a tricky one because I don't think legislation, even if it was like legislation, I don't think it necessarily drives good behaviour. I think it drives defensive behaviour. On funding, We've obviously seen a tough year for startups to get hold of funding compared to just a couple of years ago when there seemed to be plenty of money knocking around. Do you see that sort of picking up and what's your outlook for the rest of the year? Yeah, I I think there's no two ways about it. It's a really difficult 
ecosystem at the moment. Uh, you know, good deal. When interest rates are the way they are, it's actually more of an incentive for kind of your PE firms that they, they don't have fund deployment targets like EIS funds do, which need to get cash that they have raised out of the door by the end of the tax year. They just don't have that incentive. They don't need to. It's And it's actually probably more financially beneficial for them to sit on it. So what that kind of means is the ecosystem, even if we found a deal that we want to do and we get comfortable with it and it's a good opportunity, it's still really difficult to find co-investors at the moment. So that that is what we're seeing. Just with general like liquidity being down as well for a number of reasons, so that impacts on mortgages and property price. Investors are just, they don't have the liquidity. It's better for them to sit on their money. So they're not necessarily doing either angel investments or investing into kind of tax structures at the same rate that they were. However, one of the positive things that happened last year was the changes to the SEIS limit to the sunrise clause. So that went up from 150 to 250. I think a lot of businesses were delighted to be able to take advantage of that tax scheme. So giving investors a a 50% tax rebate, basically. Swings and roundabouts, (laughs) to be honest. And we're getting towards the end of the programme now. So what would you say you're most excited about in terms of the tech and the companies that uh, you're looking at? You can either name specific companies or you can just talk more generally about the kind of areas that that really excite you for the sort of coming couple of years. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see in, in, in the kind of coming years what happens with deep tech investing. It's such a huge buzz topic. And you know, I was in a talk earlier today where someone said, in much the same way that every business is a tech business, there will come a point where every business is an AI business because it's just a piece of tech that actually underpins everything and it will it will have a use case in every business. So actually, how we assess what AI businesses will probably change. But it's challenging because a lot of investors you know, have gaps in their knowledge um, and how to kind of assess those businesses. So we do have a couple of AI businesses in our health portfolio, doing some really interesting use cases with some kind of big blue chip companies. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I think generally I'm very excited about what more can be done for early stage businesses in the ecosystems. There's definitely a lot to come. You know, MPIF2 is being awarded throughout the regions as we speak. So we'll start to see kind of new fund managers announced in March. There might be some new faces on the scene, or, or at least if not new faces, just more capital. So it's going to be really great for companies who are raising at the moment. More capital for sure. Sounds very exciting. But I'm afraid that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTM podcast. Thank you, Jess Jackson, for joining me today. And thank you to everybody who's listening. We will be back with another episode next week. But in the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTM and myself on LinkedIn and X, where you can give us your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com en gb to find out how innovation needs different. <laughs>